You're listening to the Living Inside Out podcast and I'm your host, Tox Aruture. This is episode 80. Welcome to the Living Inside Out podcast where we believe your life is an answer to somebody's question. Episode 80 is Turning Pain into Purpose with Ashley Randolph. How are you doing? Well, I have an interesting, wonderful, amazing guest and I had the pleasure of interviewing her a couple of weeks ago. I'm not even going to go into any preamble. We've got to dive straight in. But I want you to grab your fuzzy socks, make yourself a cup of tea, grab some juice or some water, some biscuits, just sit comfortably. We're going on a ride because storytelling is good for the soul. And I want you to listen to Ashley's and then come back and tell me what you think. And please remember to subscribe and share this podcast so we can get more people listening. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Living Inside Our podcast. And today I am so excited to have a sister from across the pond, Ashley Randolph. And I'm going to take, read her professional bio. Mrs. Randolph is the founder of Glow Primies and the co-founder of Alliance for Black Nikul Families. She is the mother of three children born premature. She's also an accomplished author and speaker and was named Mrs. America Virtuous Woman of 2021. She is also the first Black chair at California Perinatal Quality Care Collaborative based at Stanford University. Mrs. Randolph, a NICU parent, is passionate about advancing equity for NICU families of color and breaking barriers for all. Welcome to Living Inside Out, Ashley. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm excited to meet you. And I really cannot wait to, to dive right in and even ask you, okay, so I've read your bio and I can see that you had three babies premature and I can't even imagine for a second what that would have been like every single time. But we'll get to that in a minute. But how did you start and why did you start Glow Premise and Alliance for Black Nico Families? And I'm saying Nico because we don't use the term Nico in the UK. I don't even remember what it is we use, but it is, I know it's NICU, it's an acronym, but is Nico the right term? Because I have heard Americans say, my baby was in Nico. Is the correct word? Okay. Yes. So but, it stands for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Exactly. And that's just a department that they go to. So yeah, right, that's right. the correct term for America. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So how did you start? Why did you start? Okay, so I'll give you a glimpse of my early childhood, and then that connects to where we are today. So I was actually born in Berlin, Germany, and I was there when the Berlin Wall came down. And so without knowing that specific moment mm -hmm. made a tremendous effect on my life, because now I look back and I'm all about breaking barriers mm -hmm. and making sure there's no division. And mm -hmm. I believe it kind of goes back to that starting point. So growing up, I knew I wanted to work in the medical field. I didn't know where. And then in high school, a lot of my pregnant friends would come and ask me questions about their pregnancies. And I would just go and Google it and research what I could and give them advice. 
in a way, I was a doula before I even knew what a doula was. And it for sure wasn't popular. This was about 2005, 2006. After that, I went to college, 2006. I went to Xavier University in Louisiana. It was a year after they had Katrina, the hurricane. And so the city was still devastated. So I went there for biology pre-medicine and a minor in chemistry. And at this point, I knew I wanted to be an OBGYN. So I was in the pre-medicine program. Um, About a year later, I said, okay, well, I want to do public health too, but I'm not sure where I want to go, which path. So I went to Tulane at the same time. (laughs) So I'm going to two colleges for two different majors and a minor, still trying to figure out what path I want to take. And then we get to my senior year. My senior year, I'm studying for the MCAT. I know I want to go to medical school. I know that my dream job is the World Health Organization at this point. I still don't know how they're going to work together. Mm-hmm. And then I find myself pregnant mm-hmm. with a little over a semester. So halfway through one semester. So I have one and a half semesters to go. And I, I find myself pregnant and I was devastated. And I was so sick. And so um, after a few weeks, I went to the school nurse at Xavier and I told her, you know, I'm sick. I don't know what's going on. I had an idea I was pregnant. Didn't want to say it, though. (laughs) And we were very close. So she um, had me take a pregnancy test. She came back with her clipboard, but she never looked at me in my face. And then she walked me in the back and then she did all her calculations And without ever looking up, she said, you're about between six to seven weeks pregnant. Unfortunately, we have no family housing and you will have to move off campus. Really? And never looked me in my face. One conversation, one sentence. In one sentence. So I said, okay, thank you. And I walked out, which happens a lot. So at this point, I was 21 because I had Aiden at almost 22. Oh, and I'm at my fourth year of college. No, I was 20 going on 21. Okay. So I was my fourth year of college. And I had grown a report with this doctor because I had to see her every semester for a tetanus shot or checkups, whatever we needed for college. <laughs> so I was devastated at that moment that we had broke that connection. I moved off campus and then it started to get hard for me to get back to campus to eat dinner. And so at this point, my family had just found out I come from a well-to-do background Mm -hmm. and my uncle was a millionaire before he passed away. And so as soon as they found out I was pregnant and I'm in Louisiana at the time and they're from, we're all in California, my family, they immediately cut off all connections. So no phone calls, no more. Yeah. Everything was just completely shut down. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? I have no, my, nobody's talking to me. My mom, my dad, my grandmother, my uncle, nobody. I met a young lady in the neighborhood and she was a high school student and we're still friends today. And she had a one-year-old and she saw me pregnant and she said, Hey, have you ever heard of the food stamp program? And I said, no, what is that? And she told me what it was. She took me and introduced me to her grandma. And that same week, they took me to the food stamp office. That's what we call it. <laughs> and so yeah, we, we, we went there and I did my application. And the caseworker pulled me to the back. 
And she said, well, you're in college, so that doesn't qualify you for this program. So you have two options. You can drop out of school and get these benefits. No. Or you can stay in school and try to figure it out. Now, looking back now, Mm -hmm. I wish I would have been offered a food bank or a church or somewhere Mm -hmm. where I could have went to get help. I was not given that option. And you were so young as well. I was so young and my family had already stopped talking to me. So a decision like this, I had to make on my own. You're yeah. And I dropped out of college. Wow. That broke my heart and I never went back up mm-hmm. until this point, but I had other plans, I guess, in place for me. So <laughs> I had Aiden and I was a little lost for about four years And then my aunt, I have an aunt who lived in Houston, Texas, and her husband died. So I went to Houston to help her. And ironically, the same young woman who was a high school student is now older, and she's living in Houston as well. So me and her reconnected, and we became friends again. And then I met her kid's father's uncle, or his brother. So her kid's uncle, um, Mm -hmm. who is now my husband. So we started dating. And then uh, two years after we started dating, I ended up staying in Houston. We got pregnant with our first child together. Mm-hmm. We were so excited. And then I started getting sick again at seven weeks pregnant. Same mm-hmm. as the first time. Now with Aiden, he was born at 34 weeks. And that was my firstborn. I lost 30 pounds with him and mm-hmm. with all three kids because of I suffered from hyperemesis garbidarium. and I literally was sick every 15 minutes to the timer Um, the whole entire pregnancy until the moment I deliver and then I'm fine no medication ever worked oh my god so with him at about six months pregnant I started to take different testings Mm -hmm. to see if you know Ada would have any abnormalities and so the doctor called me and told me one time you know your child will have uh a lot of abnormalities. He may have cleft lips. He may have too many uh, toes. He may have too many chromosomes. We don't know what to expect. I suggest you get a late term abortion. I chose not to. A few weeks after that, I started having preterm contractions. And so that's when I forced myself to leave Louisiana. Why did he think? No idea. To this day, I still don't know. Nope. They did uh, the general blood test that they do for diet. You know, we do the drink for the diabetes, the general lab testing. And that was the call I got and no referrals was ever made. So it was just, here is your outlook. So it was a lot of, you have Mm -hmm. two options that happened with my first pregnancy. This is eye-opening. I don't know how I got through it looking back now, (laughs) but somehow I did. And so a few weeks later, I started having preterm contractions and I left the state and I moved back to California and I just showed up. Hey family, I'm here. Wow. And I was about 32 weeks pregnant and Aiden was born at 34 weeks to the day. Wow. And then he had a short NICU stay two weeks, but he didn't have anything wrong with him, but jaundice. Wow. And now he's 12. He'll be 13. He skipped a grade. He's brilliant. And he has, uh, he has to wear glasses, but compared to what the doctors had told me <laughs> and I mean, how I was they wearing glasses at 12 anyway, or, or me 11, too. So. I was too. So I will take that and run with it. 100%, you know? yeah. And, um, I'm very blessed for him to be here, but 
definitely the doctor had told me we don't know what's going to happen with him you you should have a late-term abortion and I'm I said no trying to... so now looking back why do you honestly think he said so I really still don't know I don't know I don't know what labs he even could look at to see that and I've never heard them complain or say anything about his ultrasounds so I really don't know Jumping the gun a little bit, but in your organization with other Black families, have you heard anything else like this? Is it, is it Does this seem to be a, a common trend? Yes. Really? And it's usually with high-risk pregnant moms. There's usually sometimes if you push the doctor, then they can you know tell you a little more of why they think that, and then you can get a second opinion. So were you considered high-risk because of the sickness, or why were, were you then... Did you say you were high risk given? I was never high risk for my first pregnancy. That term was not used for any of my pregnancies until my second and third. Yeah, which is understandable mm -hmm. because they're going off. You the already had. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the first one was kind of, eh, well, you know, and maybe I was too sick and maybe Aiden was showing small on the ultrasound. I can only assume and guess. I don't know. But to say his intestines may be in or outside of his stomach, he, many he may, yeah, that was just, yeah, he gave a long list. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know where he got that from. Mm -hmm. And he's fine. And then um, for the second one, I started mm -hmm. telling you that was in Houston. Yes. I started to get sick. Um, they tried numerous medications, even some not FDA approved. Wow. Nothing worked. I was staying hospitalized all the time because I was just too sick and they had to keep me hydrated. Mm. At about 23, 24 weeks, I started having preterm contractions. And this is when I learned to advocate for myself. Mm. I went online and I found that there was a shot and it was a progesterone shot mm. and it could help with your preterm contractions for seven days. I went and asked my doctor for it. And my doctor said, you qualify. You've already had a preterm child. You're African-American, the whole list. Now I'm on state insurance. So I'm on, well, we have Medicaid in Houston. Mm -hmm. She sent the request to Medicaid and then she calls me back and they said, no, they will not pay for it. They did not think that I needed it. So I looked to my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and I said, if we want our baby to have a fighting chance, I need to go back to California. Oh, wow. So I left Texas and my son and I moved back to California and I got on their state Medi-Cal program and I had it within two weeks. I'm getting the shot. And my preterm contractions, it would pick right back up right when it's the day for me to go get my shot. Go back again. and get another shot, yeah. And would you know that they no longer have that available for pregnant moms anymore? Because the FDA said that they do not see any benefit from it. But I am a strong advocate for uh, it because okay. I believe my daughter would have been a micro preemie without it. Yeah. So unfortunately, they took it away. I believe that saved her. And at 34 weeks, she came early. Oh. Same as Aiden. And she'll actually be nine, May 29th of this month. Oh, wow. So she's a big girl now. And she spent two and a half weeks in the NICU. Now, a year later, a few months later, we moved back to Texas. We're in Texas now. I find myself pregnant again. Mm. 
I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have two under two. I'm going to go crazy. (laughs) So that was the first thing on my mind. And then I probably was going through postpartum depression, but I never got diagnosed for it. Oh dear. Because I'm was like most moms, you know, you have your baby, you go to your six week checkup and then life just happens happens, and and you don't see your doctor anymore. So it remained undiagnosed. And then I got pregnant again, immediately, like the same day I found out I'm pregnant, me and my kids pack up and move back to Sacramento. Okay. We're here in California and everything's going fine. I'm going to my doctor appointments. I'm on the right programs. I'm learning to advocate for what I want and what I don't want. And then at five months pregnant, I walk into my doctor's office and I'm still suffering from HG like every time. And my doctor is standing behind the receptionist and the doctor's looking down at her clipboard and the receptionist looks at me and says, oh, I'm sorry. The doctor will no longer see you anymore because she said you and your baby are a liability to her facility. How? (laughs) Okay. I don't even understand that. Yeah. So at that point, I did know HIPAA and I knew of HIPAA laws and things like that, but it just didn't cross my mind that, hey, she just said this in front of a waiting room of pregnant moms and basically let me go as a patient. This is not right. Okay. I don't know. So how does it work? So you're on Medicaid. Medicaid pays her, isn't it? Yes. That's how it works. So how were you a liability? I have no idea, but I do believe that she was referring to my hyperemesis garbidarium. And I believe that she just didn't want to deal with it. She didn't want to deal with it. She just didn't want to deal with it. She couldn't find a reason to fix it. And I was just a patient she didn't want to deal with. Yeah. And maybe she didn't know how to handle it and how to deal with it. When I was, because I lived in Atlanta for a bit. And I remember when I was pregnant with my fourth, the doctor I went to see because navigating the U.S. healthcare system is totally different. Like over here, we've got the National Health Service and it's free medical care for everyone. And it's very good medical care, too. Mm-hmm. I'm over there and I we know like, you know, it's commonly known that the U.S. medical care system is very different from us, for example. And I finally figure out use Google and everything. And I find a doctor And the very first thing she said to me was, I induce all my patients. Yeah, that was what she said. She goes, I induce all my patients because I want to be in control. I have never had a lawsuit against me and I'm not about to start now. So I'm going to induce all my patients because I can plan my calendar and I can plan for your birth. And if there are any surprises, I'm able to deal with it. And I just remember thinking, I have never heard of such a ridiculous thing in my life well thankfully I came back to England and I had him safely over here but yeah so that oh my um, yeah just completely that's... taking the power away from you yeah. and your own body yeah yeah that's all it is taking the power away I'm so glad that you were able to go back to a doctor mm. that's exactly what you know I want for everyone mm. I didn't find a doctor so I actually ended up seeing an ultrasound tech every week until I delivered. Are you serious? No doctor would take me. Medi-Cal tried and nobody would take me. So and I've seen an ultrasound tech. Like it's okay. It yeah. happens. It's not. And it's that's okay. fine. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what I actually did was at about 
Ooh, maybe 33 weeks because I'm guessing I'm going to deliver at 34 weeks. Oh, uh, yeah. I've, I've done it twice already. Exactly. And I go to the ER because I'm sick as always. Mm-hmm. And the ER doctor comes in and he's like, hey, do you want to sign a form for you to get your tubes tied so you don't have to go through this anymore? And to me, that was like gold to my ears. I said, yes, give me the papers now. Probably shouldn't have did that in a, you know, environment where I'm already tired of being sick and not thinking logical, but I signed the form. It's just the state of mind you were in as well. I just wanted it to be over. Yeah. And he told me, don't take that form out of your purse. You keep that with you. And when you deliver, you hand that to him. And I said, okay, well, uh, 34 weeks came. And my husband at by this time had moved to California with us because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not moving anywhere. I just want to stay here. Mm-hmm. And he moves down. And at 34 weeks, I'm in my grandma's backyard and I'm crying. Mm-hmm. And he comes out there and he's like, why are you crying? And I said, I don't know why I'm still pregnant. I shouldn't be pregnant anymore. Mm-hmm. What if something's wrong with the baby? Like everything bad went through Your my expectation head. Was my expectation. Was my expectation. Label by now. Exactly. Oh. Not even thinking that, you know, a normal pregnancy goes to 40 weeks. I'm just like, why have I not delivered yet? What is wrong? Because I'm not seeing a doctor and I'm oh. really relying on an ultrasound tech. 34 weeks went by, 35 weeks went by. (laughs) She came at 36 weeks and she was still my smallest child. Wow. So she had to go to the NICU until she could gain weight to five pounds. She was three pounds, 10 ounces. I immediately got my tubes tied. Mm. And I knew from that day forward, I wanted to do something else. Yeah. I didn't know how. And then, um, a few days go by and then I realized that Jamie's coming home now from the NICU mm-hmm. and I want to say my first daughter I named her London so because mm-hmm. oh. we named her London off of me being from Germany so oh, we have Aiden London and Jamie okay. and Jamie's middle name is Berlin ironically. Oh, interesting. so yeah so I kept the European theme so I went ahead and I sat down and I said, okay, I got nothing from the NICU three times. I got no resources. I got no diapers or wipes that most people go home with from the NICU. Somebody has to do something. So I sat down and I wrote down GLO. And then I wrote out God's little ones. Oh, beautiful. And so that's how Glow Preemies came together. And it started as a support group for uh, African-American NICU families. And it was just for Sacramento, but it has grown to now we're international. And we have a three-step program that stays with the NICU baby until it turns 18. And we work with mom, dad, and the baby and any siblings. And we have so many programs underneath our nonprofit. You wouldn't even believe me, but (laughs) we fully take care of our families either by ourselves or we work with hospitals and we also work with healthcare insurance companies. Oh, wow. So just to make sure that any need that they have actually gets met from beginning to Amazing. end. Oh my and that's Glow Premi started. What a story. Oh my gosh. It's literally made me emotional because. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I, mean, I get angry sometimes thinking about it. That's why I wrote in my book, Black, Pregnant and Shamed. 
Yeah. And it, it took me almost three years to actually write it. But when I did, I have heard nothing but how powerful that yeah. book is because it really shows the healthcare system in a different light. Yeah, it really does. You know, and I'm I'm trying not to be cynical, you know, I'm trying to have an open mind, but it's so hard. And I'm just imagining, I mean, the range of emotions are being 21 and pregnant and then your family cutting you off. Yeah. I have a 23-year-old, a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I can't even imagine my 23-year-old on his own. He's a, They're all boys, mm-hmm. you know, but I can't imagine him being on his own without us. You know, I want him to be independent and he is quite independent. And so is the second one. But I just can't imagine them feeling that they don't have us. You know, they don't have. Yeah, I'm the same way. So you're right. So that's one. And then, you know, at that age, you're, you're still developing mentally and emotionally. You're so young and you're impressionable as well. And the way that you're treated can easily become an instruction to your soul to say that's how you deserve to be treated at that young age. Now, if you had this experience much later in life, you know, in your 40s, you know, you just, it'll roll off your back, you know, you wouldn't think much of it. But Mm -hmm. to have that experience as a child, it it, it can change the trajectory of your life, you know, Mm -hmm. and the way that you think. So I have 10,000 questions. <laughs> yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> so how do you feel? So you started the organization, you started both organizations and you're helping people and it's yeah, it's bringing, no doubt is bringing a sense of satisfaction and joy to you. How do you look back now? When Or when you look back now, how do you feel honestly about your experience? If I look back now, and I do it all the time, I self-reflect almost daily. We're the same. And yeah, I love self-reflecting. And I think it just makes you a better person overall. Yes. But I look back and I know for a fact that, that I have lost my mom and dad. I lost mm-hmm. my mom in 2019 and my dad in 2020. And what I experienced from 21 to 25 years old, is probably the hardest thing I ever went through. And luckily, that part of my life that was so hard for me to overcome, and I felt like there would be a, a no end. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I just knew my life was over. Mm. You know, I'm trying to get back in the good grace of my family. But to them, it's like, oh, she was the one who was supposed to be a doctor, but she didn't. And now she's just a mom. And it was as if like a mom wasn't a cool title to have, mm-hmm. you know, I was a letdown for the family wow. and it was very, very hurtful, but it was a strength I got when mm-hmm. I overcame all of that, mm-hmm. that helped me with my parents passing. Mm-hmm. So now I feel that there's nothing I can't handle, wow. which is why I think it's easier for me to advocate Yes, because I really remember when I couldn't advocate. Mm-hmm. And how much it put me in a box that I thought I would never get out of. Mm-hmm. And I don't want nobody else to be put in a box. And I don't for sure want them to yeah. get stuck in that box. Oh. So okay. looking back, yeah. yeah. I became, I overcame what a lot of people don't though. So That's right. I realized that. 
You know, it's funny because currently I'm running a series on the podcast on navigating trials. And it all started because so I use my life as a classroom and much of the conversation. So I've only been having guests for the last few months. I think I'm on, you're probably like guest number four or something, I think. But <laughs> so congratulations. And thank, thank you. you. <laughs> So I think, you. Good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I've been recording the podcast or hosting the podcast for about three years. And it's really just my life's experiences and my thought processes as I navigate life that I share on the podcast. And so currently, I've been talking a lot about trials because I had the last half of last year was really challenging, or maybe the last quarter of the year leading into the early part of this year was was challenging for me as a businesswoman. And I was trying really hard to make sense of it and to get past it. And so it's my thoughts as I'm understanding the journey that I share. And so currently I'm talking about trials and navigating trials. One of the conclusions I reached was every single person goes through difficulty. Everyone does. Now, I'm also toying with the idea, and I say toying because I'm sort of convinced 95% and I don't want to put a stamp on it and say this is definitely the truth so that I don't mislead people but I'm toying with the idea that pain is pain so stay with me for a second I know that there is worse pain you know pain does come in different intensities so pain does come in different intensities depending on the circumstance and the situation But at the end of the day, we're all going through or we all have to experience a level of pain. It's just that our pain comes riding on different horses. So for some people, it's health. For some people, it's finances. For some, it's relationships. For some, it's mental trauma. But at the end of the day, there is a pain that we all have to deal with. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment is just And then the conclusion, again, off the back of that is the best thing to do is embrace the pain, right? Because it's not going anywhere. Well, we're not constantly in pain, but no one is exempt from it. So the best thing to do is is to embrace it. And embracing it doesn't mean you settle and say, well, it's here. This is as as good as my life's going to get. You don't settle but you accept that it's there, but you're also empowered to handle it and to deal with it. Because I found myself waiting for the pain to end and postponing my plans and and, and saying, at the end of this, when this season comes to an end, I'll finally do X, Y, Z. But then I did not envisage that it was going to take months, right? And And I don't know if you've heard this this before, but I've heard people say, and I again, I don't know if this is true or not, and I'm not even accepting it as true, but I'm accepting it as logical or sufficient for us to do, to handle life. Like it's you know some of these aphorisms that we get that are just help us to navigate life and help us to accept that what we don't understand. And it is that life is fifty percent hard and fifty percent easy, and that's what the balance is. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but let's assume that it was true imagine if you had 90 years to live on earth and 45 of those years are going to be hard years and the other 45 would be good years but then you're waiting for the for the pain to end before you start doing what you want to do 
But then God has given you 90 years to fulfill your purpose on earth and it's going to take 90 years for it to be fulfilled. It then means that you've taken something that should last for 90 years or should take 90 years and you've tried to squeeze it into a 45-year period because you spent 45 years waiting for the pain to end. Yeah. And so you find that many people get to the end of their lives and, oh, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done mm -hmm. that. The point I guess I'm trying to make is that we can grow through the pain and regardless of how hard it is, I know there are seasons for waiting and there are seasons to rest and look after ourselves and seasons to, to just be in a tranquil, still place. Mm -hmm. But we must also learn to grow through our pain. And I feel like that's what you've done. Yeah. Whether you chose to do it or not, that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you you had a baby at such a young age and, and the baby was premature. And you heard someone say to you that the baby was not going to be healthy. And then you had, I mean, one of my hardest things to deal with is rejection. <laughs> yeah. My husband laughs at me. He goes, and <laughs> They say, mom, it's not personal. You know, yeah. I, I really don't like being told no. No, yeah, and, the same way. So you're the same. So I can imagine what it would feel like for someone to say, well, I'm sorry, you're a liability to my clinic. Mm -hmm. And and then yeah. you, you, you still keep going. So yeah. well done. Your story is so inspiring. But then I also am learning now, and this is probably what the next episode of the podcast is going to be, about is that we don't draw inspiration only from our present and our future but we can draw inspiration from our past as well absolutely wow so how do you feel that this has shaped the way that you think i mean you've sort of grown through it maybe a different way of putting the question is how different do you think your life would have been if you didn't have that experience oh yeah I love that question. So to go off of what you just said, I definitely went through growing pains mm. and I had to just like a teenager go through their growing pains when they're going from five feet to six feet and, you know, their legs hurt. Something has to hurt for you to stretch out. And I do believe exactly what you just said, that I went to college I knew I wanted to work with babies. Mm. I knew I wanted to work in research and policy. I didn't know how it would merge. I didn't even know the right terminologies to use at the time. Mm. But if it wasn't for me actually having my own experience, I wouldn't know what to change. Right. And then I would have just been another person, a part of a system that needs to be changed. Yes. So I believe that yes. I had to have that. Yeah, And yeah. maybe I didn't get it the first time. So divine intervention said, you're going to get it two and three times <laughs> until you get it. And so yeah. after the third one, I finally got it. Wow. And I have uh, luckily been able to help hundreds and thousands of people wow. since then, rather through my own organization or advocating somewhere, speaking somewhere. Yeah. I've been helping change a lot of policies in America. I'm starting to work my way towards Africa and Europe right now mm -hmm. and just trying to do my part. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think, yeah, I just had to find my way. And once you find your way for anyone, yeah. I think everybody has a special place. I and know. once you find it, and especially like you said, you may find it in your, those pains when they hurt. Those are your moments to find out 
what are you really supposed to do? Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. Oh, you've done so well. Well done. How does the organization get funding? <laughs> the first maybe six years, mm -hmm. I didn't take any funding. Okay. So I did my income taxes every year and I used that to hold the organization together for a year. Then in about 2020, 2021, I started taking our first funding. So they have all been sponsorship opportunities from different organizations and companies. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, we have a lot of things going on. So we have clothes that we sell now to help raise funds. Mm -hmm. We do different events and fundraisers. Uh, we have colleges that we're trying to work with at the moment to have fundraising events at their own college. And then we still rely on our sponsors and donors mm -hmm. to just help us support us and keep us going. Okay, that's great. I'm going to leave the details in the show notes so that people can reach out to you should they want to help, which they should want to help after listening to after listening to this. So how what advice would you have for someone who is 21, finds themselves pregnant in college, the exact same story? on hindsight with the wisdom you've gained now as an adult and just life's experiences and as the president of your organization what what advice would you give to them okay so <laughs> i hope you guys are listening from the bottom of my heart i do want to say that you are not alone mm. and there is more stories of things that went wrong than there are what went right so don't feel ashamed to speak up. Um, I know it can be scary talking to someone who is supposed to be taking care of you and your child. So that's where organizations come in. And you can always reach out to me. I don't care where you are in the world. I will be the best supporter I can and advocate for you, as well as you know, try to find someone that is also local. I always tell everyone that. Sometimes the people that you need are right in your back pocket. I will not lie and say sometimes it's hard to find. Mm. Unfortunately, even with the world of technology, some resources are still very hard to find. But reach out to another one and let them know I'm looking for a resource for this. And they may have a partner organization that can help you. Don't give up. Mm. This is only a moment in time. And something beautiful always comes out of the hard stuff. Never forget that. Oh, that's lovely. That's really, really sweet. And I love what you said. You're not alone. And I would add, you're not the first and wouldn't be the last to go through that. Yes. Your life is made beautiful by scars and by experiences. It, don't, it isn't made ugly. So that's really good advice. And so you've also written a couple of books, haven't you? Yeah, I did. So first um, one, your autobiography, which I have to read. Yeah. That is uh, Black, Pregnant, and Shamed. And so it's just my story. And at the end, I do provide some resources on there. Mm -hmm. But of course, that is not all of them. It's just a, a little toolkit of resources that are really good, mm -hmm. that don't really get the light that they should. And sometimes it's just because there's no money for marketing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what you don't know, you don't know. So mm -hmm. that was my way of helping uplift them and, you know, just sharing my story with others. 
So that, yeah, that was my hardest book to write. Oh, I can imagine because you had to you had to revisit and go down the journey as well of everything that's yeah. happened. It's so, almost like journal writing, right. and with journal writing, you know, it's easier to say it, but then when you write it down, you're really in that moment and feeling the emotions. So, yeah, just imagine. I can only. I haven't published a book yet but I'm in the process of writing <laughs> so when yes. I get there when I'm gonna definitely be coming to you for some tips on on that because it is it is really about my experiences as well even though it's not as it's not quite the same as what you've experienced but it is bearing your soul can be quite hard as well because you know you're you're exposing yourself for people to judge you as well isn't it Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you write your book, let me know. I, really I will add it to I have a whole bookshelf of black authors. So oh, I would love to put you on there. Okay. Oh, thank you so much. So now with the three, how old is the youngest? So the youngest is seven, she'll be eight at the end of the year. Oh, bless. And then London, uh, she'll be nine on May 29th. Yeah. And then Aiden will be 13. Okay. Uh, November 26th so oh, the wow. end of the year too that's a that's a lo lovely age gaps they've got there as well yeah <laughs> yeah oh, one's right. almost 18 I'm counting right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. well and how do you balance it all with being a leader of your organization and also being a mom and a wife as well how do you balance it so I'm going to tell you the truth uh, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure it out and I loved hearing Sherry in your earlier episode talk about the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was one part of her episode that I was going to bring up too. And I'll just repeat what she said. Okay, you can love your job so much mm -hmm. that you could sit there for hours working on something. And I think she was talking about painting for her or she was creating something specific. And for me, it's always in my computer. I'm always creating a new form, a new webinar, a new class, mm -hmm. connecting with somebody. I'm always on front of my computer and I love what I do. So just like her, I can start, I start my day set at 3 a.m. Pacific time. And that's because I usually work with people all over the world. So our times are so, uh, yeah, like yesterday I had to call with a hospital in Nigeria that we work with. So I have to be flexible for a lot of people and I'm working on sleep patterns, trying to get more sleep in. But like her, like Sherry said, I can start at 3 a.m., and then by 5 p.m., I'm still on the computer and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have to go pick up the kids, figure out what's for dinner, you know, make sure everybody take baths. Yeah. And I'm still thinking about what I want to finish doing mm -hmm. because I love it so much and it's, it's not stressful to me. Yeah. Literally, I'm still trying to figure it out. I do make calendars and it may sound bad to people who aren't business in business minded situations, but um, I actually put in my calendar times to wake up my kids. Oh, right. So I have an alarm that says, hey, it's 6 a.m. Go wake up the kids. I have an alarm for what time. Hey, it's time for them to go to school. And I know, OK, everybody's time to get in the car. Yeah. Same thing to pick them up and then any appointments or anything that I need to do for the family. Okay. I schedule it in because that's I will lose myself in my work. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that's a blessing that you love what you do. You know, not everyone has got that benefit or rather that privilege. So. 
loving what you do amazing being a mom and i'm sure the children know the value of what you're bringing to the world and they they, they understand what's going on and do they do you involve them at all in the business do they ask questions they are all the way involved um so we have what's called glow premies tv network okay. and anyone can find it on vimeo or roku or on um our website mm-hmm. at glow premies and the kids have their own podcast shows they have their own cartoon shows they there's a halloween movie a thanksgiving movie and a christmas movie wow um, we're at 67,000 viewers at this moment and we started it a year ago so and we're just going to have more episodes and more different type of shows coming mm-hmm. but is my proudest accomplishment is the one with my kids. So mm-hmm. I love our Glow Premies TV. There's about a hundred thousand black babies that are born in America every year. Mm-hmm. And so seeing 67,000 families watching it is like statistically, it's like, oh my goodness, thank you. I'm doing something right. Yeah. So I invite everyone to come. And if anybody want, has a show and they want to put it on, we have shows geared for moms, shows geared for dads, mm-hmm. some just NICU educational based. And then yeah. we have our afternoon shows for the kids. Excellent. Oh, that's so so good. And yeah. the links to everything is in the show notes as well. So yeah. we can we can check that out. You know, I've heard of Roku. I have to confess I'm not familiar with it. I don't even know okay. if we have access to it in the UK. I think we do because I've heard of it. So I will check that out. This has been awesome. So now I am really curious about Berlin. How come you were born there? <laughs> yeah, my dad was in the Air Force. Uh-huh. And so he actually wanted to go somewhere else in America, but he got chosen to go to Berlin. Okay. So him and my mom got married after high school and then they went to Berlin. And about a year later, I came. Mm-hmm. My mom has pictures of my dad walking. Well, I have them now of my dad walking on the wall. One piece of the wall he's walking on top of and the other part, you can see them breaking it breaking down. It down. Oh, yeah. God. And I was sitting right there as a baby and I, it was snow and, you know, I, I just have all the pictures. Luckily, I was in the newspaper there when I was born. So yeah. I have that clip Okay, and I have two birth certificates. Yes, so I don't know. I don't know. How. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. But my name in Berlin is Ashley Rochella okay. with an A at the end. But in America, it's Ashley Rochelle. Ah. So I have two different names. Fun fact. And yeah, I just I love I always talk about it. Oh. I tell my kids I had dual citizenship till I turned 18. And unless they change the laws, I believe all my kids and their kids can get it too until they're 18. And it was just, it was amazing, you know, to grow up and say, I'm in two countries at one time. Yes, yes. That is very, very unique and very different. Love that. Love everything about it. Okay. So Glow Premies, what's the website? How can we find you? What are the social media handles? Okay, so it's Glow Premies on social media. And if you're looking for the Alliance for Black NICU Families, uh, theirs is Black NICU Families on social media sites. So just Black NICU Families. And then for websites, it's glowpremies.org. 
And then the other organization is blacknicufamilies.org. And then you can find me in those places. And if you type in Ashley Randolph, Glow Premies or Alliance for Black NICU Families, Mm -hmm. there'll be multiple things on Google. And there's Mm -hmm. tons of way to read about me and the work I do. And if you see something that interests you, please reach out. I don't mind working with anyone. Oh, awesome. This has been an amazing conversation, Ashley. And I feel like we're going to have to do this again. Yes, me too. I told you I had 10,000 questions, but I I don't want to go too far beyond the time so that people listen all the way through till the end. So this has been a joy to have you. Thank you so very much. I've been inspired. I think this is the first time I've been on the podcast and literally felt moved to tears. Perhaps except when I told, maybe from my very first episode when I told my story or the second one. And, and that sort of got me a little bit emotional. But yeah. this one, you know, because I guess because I'm a mom as well. And and just, uh, you know, you hear stories and you hear things. And there are, I know that there are organizations even in the United Kingdom. And Serena Williams highlighted the issues of, of being a Black mom or being pregnant and being Black in the United States. And I have since seen the same highlights being done here in the United Kingdom. But sometimes when you don't have an experience and your life is so busy, it's very easy to be removed from such experiences to the point where it's just, all right, it's a thing, but you don't feel drawn to it, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm thrilled that we've had this conversation and, and I'm really proud to have you on here as well and to be able to talk about it too. So thank you very, very much. And I look forward to some more connections with you. I know we're going to have a long talk and I I really appreciate you. Love the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) And thank you for listening to Living Inside Out. Till next time, leave from the inside out. (laughs) 